I'm going to also take a second to tell you all about one of our show sponsors. That's Norse Fire Equipment out of North Dakota. Whenever I first started talking about having sponsors for the show, I really wanted it to be genuine businesses that are firefighter owned and operated and people that have good business ethics and have a good mission. Matt Vercota reached out to me from Norse Fire Equipment. He and I have spoken and, and talked back and forth a little bit, got to know each other. And he seems to fit that criteria. He's a full-time firefighter and founded this company in 2020 to provide a good place for firefighters to be able to get equipment that they needed to be able to do their job and have it at a good price and just good quality equipment instead of some of these places that want to sell you real cheap crap. For Y'all go over to NorseFireEquipment.com, coupon code COWBOY5. That'll get you 5% off on your online orders. All right, guys, on with the show. Dispatch to all units. This is a third alarm. Switch to the TAC channel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TAC channel. I'm your host, Heath Meredith. This is the Third Alarm Cowboys podcast. This is a podcast for firefighters where we talk about real-life situations, everything from promotions, leadership, relationships, stuff in your station, stuff at home, finances, uh, you name it, we're going to talk about it, even some controversial stuff that, that people may not want to discuss, but this is real life and we're going to talk about it on this show. Guys, I just want to uh, to let everybody really, really, really uh, know from the bottom of my heart this last episode that I did about shit departments by far has been the the most listened to show that I've had up to date. That was uh, show 13, and within the first like 24 hours, we had almost 400 listens. Which for a small town guy from East Texas, that's a lot. I mean, this isn't this. I'm not the Joe Rogan experience where I have million follow, millions of followers and everything. So. Just for me to be able to have that in the very first day to jump off like that is absolutely phenomenal, and that's that's thanks to all of you. I really hope that uh, you know the information I'm putting out is is resonating with a lot of you and getting people thinking, getting your mindset going, and the messages that I'm getting from from all of you. That's exactly what we're doing. I have a reputation of of being straightforward and, and telling people like it is. I don't like to sugarcoat stuff. Sometimes I come across a little rough. Sometimes you know I, I cuss a lot and. And uh, I could come across in, in that way, and it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I understand that. Uh, but it seems like to all of y'all, the information that I'm putting out, w- regardless of who it's coming from and how I deliver it, it's valuable information. And I really hope to continue that and just giving y'all my thoughts on how I think that we can improve the fire service as a whole and making firefighters better and the next generation of leaders and officers moving up into the captains and chief spots in departments across this country and, and across the world at this point uh, that's what i really continue to hope to do so thank you all for uh for lending your ear and listening to me and i'll uh, make sure that i'm a good steward of your time guys i'm sitting out here i've kind of moved my uh my podcast recording I, i've wanted to since i started this i've wanted to record outside and have you know an outside type studio if you will and right now I'm getting all that put together. I've got the equipment that I need to be able to record outside and and funnel the uh, the sound and the audio and, and really try to make it work. But uh, today has been hellacious thunderstorms coming across Texas, and so the rain has not been very cooperative with me. 
today, but I'm going to try to get on here and get get this week's show recorded. So y'all bear with me if the sound is an, is not absolutely perfect, but I'm going to try to make it work. Want to reiterate to everybody, I've had some people reach out and ask me, you know, how they could support if I'm, uh, you know, taking taking on sponsors of show and everything like that. That is something that in the future I'm I'm going to be be willing to look into um, just for p- the people that are curious about that. So what I have in mind when it comes to sponsoring the show and running advertisements and everything, because at this point we do have over 10,000 listeners, I want anybody that I am willing to put out on this show and um, you know advertise for or anything of that aspect, I want them to be a firefighter at heart. I want them to you know, basically businesses and stuff that are firefighter owned and operated people that operate with the good ethical and good principles have morals. They're not out to make a quick buck and fuck people over. That's, that's something that I'm not a part of. I preach against that (laughs) basically on every single show. I talk about doing, doing good business and making good choices. So when it comes to having sponsors and people, you know, that are involved, I'm absolutely interested in that. Um, because like I've said before, when it comes to all this equipment and everything, I'm coming out of pocket on all this. And so far my way of paying for it is with t-shirt sales, you know, t-shirt sales, that's, that's apparel as a whole is a pretty hard, uh, business to be in, especially, you know, getting going. It's a lot of capital buying all your shirts ahead of time. And then basically you just have to continue to make sales until you get your money caught up and everything like that. So it's a little bit of a slow roll business, but it's the best that I could do at the, at the time. And that's, uh, you know, something that's still working for me as far as for sponsoring everything with the people that have been contacting me uh yes i'm absolutely interested just know that um i'm going to do a little background on you and and see what kind of business you have i don't want any you know fly by night or just bullshit stuff and i don't want to do your typical podcast things like every single podcast we listen to advertises for the same stuff that's not really my thing i don't want to spend up a whole show doing a whole bunch of advertisements for a bunch of bullshit i'm not really in this to try to become a millionaire or something like that off a show that's not my thing i just want to educate people but i do have to pay you know pay some of the bills and pay for this equipment and my monthly uh charges when it comes to all the software and all the all those kind of deals uh and i do want to expand and get into um to video podcasting and everything and really make this a lot more enjoyable of a show for, for you listeners. So that's all things that I'm going to, you know, I'm building up the capital to be able to do. I'm just having to move slow because, you know, like all of you, I'm on a firefighter budget. That's something that we're working on. I'm greatly appreciative to all of you that reached out and tried to help and be involved in everything. That's, that's what I wanted out of this. That's the movement and the direction I wanted. I wanted this to be a true team of, of firefighters from all across the country. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what's happening. So my mission from the get-go has uh, is is creating the momentum and everything in the movement that I really uh, was was starting off doing. So I thank y'all again for that. And go to thirdalarmcowboys.com. If you're interested in a t-shirt, we still have some podcast uh, launch t-shirts and some of the Condemned Saint Third Alarm Fighter shirts. That's uh, for Cat Marjay Nip. He is our Third Alarm Fighter we uh, have locked arms with him, and he's a firefighter just like all of us. He's a captain in the in the Houston, Texas area for a full-time fire department. And then on his days off, he um, is a professional boxer. He fought MMA whenever he was younger, was a belt holder, world champion, all that. And now that he's older, he's transitioned into the boxing world, has his pro card and everything like that. We're, we're working right now, as I mentioned on the last show, about getting a venue and everything locked in for his next fight. But he's been training. Y'all go check out his Facebook page. It's Third Alarm Fighter. I actually created a page for him, and I'm going to start putting a lot more stuff on that once we uh, start creating some more media for him. So 
a lot of things coming down the pipe with our uh, with our organization with our team and that's all to provide you know a better service for him it's it's growing our team and then just getting a bigger voice out to uh to be able to help more firefighters across the country so that's uh that's what we have going on just an update for this week but um i'm gonna jump right in and, and start with uh with this week's show i did have a guest lined up for today but the weather was absolutely terrible so i didn't want him to make the drive out to uh to come and basically have to sit in the rain and not be able to record so I'm going to work on getting him sometime this in this week, and I'll be able to to hopefully uh, broadcast the show with him sometime in in the next couple of weeks. So that's something that I'm working on, and I have a few more guests lined up. It's just basically you know continuing on with the schedule stuff. So thank you all, and on with the show. So I'm going to name this show "Mastering Your Position." Something that we need to talk about and need to discuss, and I want people to start trying to understand. I mentioned on the last episode about people, you know, three, four, five years in, and there's they're basically demanding captains' positions, demanding promotions. People that think that they are essentially have earned the next position. So something that I want people to really start thinking about. They used to tell you all the time when it came to, you know, your firefighter fundamentals. I remember this being in Fire Academy. I remember it being discussed. They would show you how to do something. Or first off, they would tell you how to do a skill. Then they would show you how to do the skill. Then you would do it. Then you could prove that you could do it. But you didn't truly master it until you got to the point where you could start teaching that skill to someone else. That's something that goes along with being an instructor. Whenever you're a fire instructor, they teach you that. You know, you need to learn how to do this then you need to be able to turn around and teach it to the next guy. So as a whole within the fire service lately, I'm seeing, and it is a lack of my generation of firefighters, the 10 to 20 year guy just doesn't really exist. We're a very small percentage within the fire service as a whole due to hiring freezes and the recession of 2008. You had multiple departments all over the place um, that, were completely on hiring freezes. They were short-staffed, but they were on hiring freezes. I myself tested, I can't even tell you how many places. At that point in time, so State of Texas has a, a website, the Texas Commission on Fire Protection, where you can go on look for jobs, job listings anywhere in the state of Texas, uh, places that post that they're hiring firefighters. Today, you can log on there and look, and there is any day of the week, there's approximately 20, 30 departments across all the state of Texas that are hiring. It's it's not that complicated to get a job. Like I've told y'all before, whenever, you know, manpower is as short as it is, <laughs> you could go get another job. Well, at that time, 2008, the the recession was in full effect. Cities were getting choked out. I mean, you had like the, the documentary burn that came out about um, Detroit Fire Department, all that. That's whole, that whole time period. You had cities literally going bankrupt. Federal government was having to bail out cities. They were having to bail out major banks, um, GM Motors, you name it, everybody was crashing. So fire jobs were few and far between. At that point in time, I remember I could log on the commission and look, and there might be, like on a good week, four departments hiring, and they would be on the other side of the state from me. I have driven, uh, I live in Deep East Texas, I've driven as far as uh, South Padre Island to test for the fire department, which for me was like over a 10-hour drive one way. Um, tested all the way out other side of Austin. And the truth and, and the reality was during that time period, because a lot of the departments that were hiring would be like your civil service city departments. They were the larger departments because ESDs weren't, they were a thing, but they weren't 
like what they are now. So a lot of your departments, those civil service departments, they gave um, additional points on your test for, for paramedic, and they gave additional points on your test for military experience. So if you got up and you tested against a guy that, say, uh, made a 90, but he was a paramedic and former military, we automatically got five points for each, so it would bump him to 100. So a guy like me that was a firefighter, EMT, no military, you know, no experience, anything like, anything like that, I would have to go in and literally make 100 to be able to beat those guys. So bottom line is what happened is a lot of places I tested, I didn't get a job as well as countless other people. I mean, you may show up to to a place that was testing and they literally were just testing for an eligibility list. And you would have, I, I remember I showed up to San Marcos Fire Department and there was, they had no positions available, but they were one of the only places that was testing to even make an eligibility list. And there was over 400 people showed up just to test for the list. And I made top 20, uh, but I never, I never heard anything else. I mean, there was people in there that had military and all that. And so, you know, obviously they got bumped to the top of the list. And I don't even know if they truthfully even hired anybody off that list. I, I couldn't tell y'all. But just know that, you know, today's world, you may show up to some of these really good departments and there's 20, 40 people that show up to test and they're hiring five back then. You would show up and, I mean, I've heard about at some of the bigger departments like Houston Fire Department or even like Tyler, Texas, things like that, there would be a thousand people or more show up to test just for an eligibility list. So that's why there's such a shortage of my generation of firefighter that's the 10 to 20 year because at that time period, people just couldn't get fire jobs, so they went on and got careers doing something else. Uh, most of the guys that I went to fire school with, I believe... Without checking, I believe we graduated with approximately 20 people. I think we started off like in the mid-30s in my academy, and we graduated 19, 20 guys maybe. Uh, the people that I have on Facebook and still in contact with, majority of them are not in the fire service. I would say of that 20 guys that graduated, maybe five became firefighters. Maybe. So that's a very small percent. I mean, you're talking about 25%, and that's in, in my academy. Um and then some of those guys that got fire jobs, they did it for five, ten years. And then, you know, they realized that it wasn't paying the bills and providing the kind of lifestyle that they wanted. Uh, so I know two of them for sure. They've gotten out and now they're doing um, some things in corporate America and uh, have gone on about their lives and doing other things. So that's kind of that's kind of the reality as to why we have that generational gap, just in my experience. Now, what that has done to the fire service as a whole especially in the state of Texas, but I'm going to say that this is more than likely a problem nationwide just because the, the recession itself was nationwide. I would say what that has done to the fire service is it created a huge generational gap, and it has, because you see time and time again you have 20-year and up guys, and then you have 7- to 8-year and down. Like, that's the gap. So the guys of my generation that should be in those officer roles, we're not in them. So either the positions are being held by people that have a ton of experience and are at their retirement age, or it's younger folks with less experience, less than 10 years in or less than five years in. I know I know plenty of captains right now that have less than five years in, and they are on the, the true trial by fire, uh, on-the-job training hard end of it. I mean, that's just the reality. They're, they're having to learn the hard way. And while I know a lot of people can do that, I myself did that. And 
hopefully you're in a in a department that is more of a learning environment and coaching environment rather than a if you fuck up there's the door uh, because we know that we have both but something that really is setting us up for failure if people don't recognize that this is exactly where we're at is over the next five to ten years all of that seniority, all of it, all those guys right now that are the 20, 25, 30-year guys that are all in those offices, they're all going to be gone. I mean, even some of them that, that refuse to go home, they're probably going to end up dying in the station because they just won't go home. Um, they're, in 10 years, they will be gone. They just physically won't be able to really do the job at that point. And unless they have an office job, they won't be riding on the trucks anymore is what I'm getting at. So what that does is that creates – a huge power vacuum, if you will, that creates a huge hole for the the guys right now that have less than 10 years in. Y'all are going to have the opportunity to promote. You are. You're going to have the opportunity to promote. But just because the opportunity is there does not mean that you're deserving of it. It does not mean that. Just because we live right now in a society that is eight up absolutely ate up with certifications and college degrees that does not make you deserving of a position of authority it doesn't you can have the best looking resume in the world you can have every certification you can have your executive fire officer fire officer all all the shit you can have all that but that still does not make you worthy of sitting in that front seat it does not i'm here to tell you it doesn't. What makes you worthy and makes you in the proper position to take on that role and take on that responsibility is when you have mastered your current position. That's as a rookie firefighter. That's as a senior firefighter. That's as a EO or lieutenant, whatever the designation is for your department, for whoever drives the damn fire truck, when you've mastered that position, then and only then are you even remotely close to even being able to earn a trial period to get into that front seat. The guys that came before me, the officers that came before me, yes, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say this. There's always going to be shitbags. No matter what you do, there's always going to be bad apples, bad eggs, everything like that. But I don't want them on this team, and they're not going to be associating with, with me in this team, so I don't give a damn about them. I don't. They're, the people that are out for themselves and want to, want to fuck over other people and make all the money and all that, y'all can, just, y'all can go eat shit because I don't care. Y'all aren't going to listen to anything I had to say. But the people that really do care and want to learn and want to promote and want to do all this, even if you think right now that you need to promote – but you're listening to this and you're eager to learn and everything like that. This is where it is. In order to be a master of your position, you need to be able to know everything about your position and everyone on your crew needs to know how to do your position. Meaning, you have are not 100% at your role, whether it's a firefighter or an EO or whatever, until every single person on your crew, you can walk away, you can take a day off, and and anyone on your crew can step into your shoes and perform your job duties at 150%. That's your job. If you are a senior firefighter 
and you got a rookie underneath you that's been there two days and you're ready to promote, you do not need to promote as that guy's senior and that guy's mentor until they can do your job 150% without you being there. That is your responsibility, 100%. That is your responsibility, and that goes all the way up. That goes from day one rookie all the way through the damn fire chief. At no point are you a master of your position until everyone on your crew and everyone under you can do your job, bottom line. If you think that you need to move up, move on, and leave those guys, then you're not doing them a solid. You are not one of those that I would consider to be a true, caring crew member. Because the reality is, if you leave them because you want to take the promotion and you want to get the money, who's to say that the next person that moves up into your role gets all them killed? Because they're a shitbag, they don't know anything, and they're promoting for the wrong reasons, whatever. They come in, they take the role, they've got all the certs, they've got all the shit on paper, but they don't know their head from a hole in the ground when it comes time for actual 2 o'clock in the morning making the push down that hallway and keeping the crew safe, putting the fire out, and rescuing that victim. If you are a master of your position or want to be a master of your position then you can't allow for some shitbag to come step into your shoes. If you're an EO on that truck, you can't promote and take that officer spot without knowing that somebody that you that that the people that you care about are going to be safe with whoever's going to drive them to the next fire. See, that's something that we have to start start really thinking about as the fire service grows and more and more people come in. Younger people are smart. Younger people learn and retain information twice as fast as what our predecessors did. I know that's a hard pill for some old folks to swallow, but I watch my kids and I see my kids and their ability to learn shit and absorb and just just soak everything up like a giant-ass heavy-duty sponge. They learn twice as fast as we did. Would They absolutely do. So you don't have to take 10, 15 years to try to teach them how to be a proficient firefighter. They can get the shit in the first five. They can. If you will give them the opportunity, the training opportunities, and stop with this whole sit down, rookie, get in the corner, shut the fuck up, you don't belong over here, and get out of this conversation. If you'll get out of that mindset and start training the shit out of them, teaching the shit out of them every single little bitty nugget that you know, whether it's the most minuscule dumb thing that some guy he taught you 20 years ago, if you'll pull that up and teach it to them, it could be something that they can use tomorrow on a fire and you can either save their life or save a community member's life with that piece of information. So start just pouring into these people. I talked about that on the last episode. Pour into your people. Stop trying to be an informative leader thinking that you've got to be the smartest one in the room and then move on to the next step and leave all them. Because what you did was you, you handicapped them. That's what you did. When you think that you have to be the smartest person in the room and you don't share the information that you have, whether it's on a tactical aspect, whether it's on a personal aspect, whether it's you know teaching them about how to read their SOGs or employment, all those different things. Hell, I can't tell y'all the amount of firefighters that have come to me that, that haven't even worked at the same departments as me, but they come to me and ask me how the fuck their pension works. They come to me and ask me how the hell their benefits package works. We have firefighters out there that are paying into a damn pension 
And they have never even had an officer or a damn HR director or the fucking chief sit down with them and explain, these are your contributions. This is what the city puts in. After you've been here this long, this is what you're going to get in order to be vested. Blah, 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 blah. Guys don't even know that. They literally have $150, $200 coming out of their check going to some place that they don't even know where the fuck it's even going. They've never even been shown how to set up an account with their pension system in order to watch their own money. That's a failure on their officer. That's a failure on their senior firefighter. That's a failure on their chief. Those things should be taught to the guys day one. You care about your money. Obviously, you're trying to promote, right? Because you want a higher paycheck. But you haven't even taken the time to sit down and teach guys on your crew about their money. That's the things we you have to sit down and, and every single little thing that you've learned over your whole 10, 15, however long you've been in, five years you've been in, teach those things. The tactics, teach those things. You being there, sitting there, knowing every damn thing that could possibly, you know, have to do with the job and not informing anybody around you, that does not benefit anybody. Okay, great. You look like you're the smartest. Where, what the fuck is that going to get you? If you haven't sat down and taught the crew members how to do you know, proper RIT training and your ass goes down, well, by God, you were the RIT expert. You knew all about RIT. You knew how to do all that bullshit. You, can, you, know, you know how to pull the DRD and you know how to tie webbing in the dark and all your knots and all this shit, blah, blah, blah. And you're a fucking superhero on your resume. And when you're showing off to try to get that next spot, you look like the most badass of badass. But you didn't take the time to teach your crew, so when it, those skills actually have to be used on you, you're fucked. So take the time. Take the time to pour into your people, whether it's a day one guy or anybody on your crew. Take the time to teach them every single thing that you know about your position and your job. Because then and only then are you a master of your position and you're ready to move on to the next step. That's it. If you can't teach someone how to do your job, then you're not ready to move on. Bottom line. My next thing. I heard this today. I was listening to a really badass podcast. I, I'm going to encourage everyone to go listen to it. It's it's not exactly firefighter related, but it's a lot of current situations with the with the United States, uh, political climates, everything from, you know, border security, cyber security, uh, sex trafficking. I mean, you name it and it's being covered on this show, but I'm going to encourage truly everyone to go listen to it. It's a Sean Ryan show. He just did a phenomenal episode uh, with, a, I'm trying to remember the guy's last name, but his first name was Ryan. Um, but he is the number one ethical hacker in the world. I shared it on on the Third Alarm Cowboys Facebook page, and I truly encourage everyone to go listen to that, especially if you have kids or you plan to have kids or you got nieces and nephews, whatever. You need to go listen to this episode because everyone knows, like right, everyone knows about the trafficking of children and stuff that goes on around the world. But I truly had zero idea on how bad it really was and how bad it is at home and how bad it's happening right here in the United States, right underneath our noses. And 
parents like me, yes, I'm protective of my children, but I had no idea how truly in danger they are when it comes to um, the amount of evil that's out there. So I encourage everyone to go go listen to that. He has a lot of former military guys that come on that show, and they talk about uh, mental health, and it's real, real, real life situations and real conversations um, that are truly enlightening. I, I take a lot from that show. A lot of it resonates with me. And to be quite frank, I'm able to correlate and, and connect the dots between a lot of things that military vets go through uh, to the fire service. I, I genuinely am. Um, some of the aspects of it are different naturally, but ultimately what it's doing to our actual brains uh, go hand in hand. So that's something I'm going to talk about later on, but I do encourage all of you to go listen to that show and um, especially the uh, the one about the hacking with the, with the human trafficking going on. So go check that out. But um, I was listening to, to a recent episode on there and they were talking about uh, military promotions and stuff. So all of us have seen and, and truly like, if you're like me, then you're a fan of the military. I love history. I love the military. The World War II generation of military is something that's always had my fascination. I've studied it, watched countless movies, read books. It's just a time period in an era of the battling against against Hitler and just all the evil of the Nazi regime and all that. It's something that really resonates with me and try to learn those lessons and try to figure out how, you know, those great leaders like Major Dick Winters from, uh, I don't know, a lot of you watch Band of Brothers. The the leadership style that he had is something that I've been fascinated with since I, way before I got into the fire service. And I took a lot of his principles that he talks about in his book and uh, have applied that to to different aspects of my fire service career. And I encourage a lot of you to go and do that. You know, go and study real proven leaders uh, from the military and see what they did. You know, for instance, Dick Winters promoted while going through World War II. You know, he was uh, Easy Company and right there on the front lines. He started off as a lieutenant, was, I mean, that on, on you know, on the front lines at all times, moved up the Battle of the Bulge. They they were a major part in that. Just all of you go listen, but basically, you know, every aspect of his leadership style was being in the shit. He at one point, you know, was was basically coached that he had to when he made major uh, and was over the battalion, he had to remove himself out of those frontline positions and get to the point where he's given orders instead of trying to perform the tasks. And, you know, me personally, that's something whenever whenever I made captain, it was a huge adjustment for me. Instead of being the guy that's going in there and pulling the ceiling, you're the one behind them taking a good hard look at the entire situation, you know, making sure that they're safe and, and your crew members are in, are in good, they're standing in a good position uh, to not get hurt and all that. But you're the one telling them, hey, cut here, pull this, do this, blah, 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 blah. And, you, and you're more of a director than you are actually performing the true task. And that was something that was a hard adjustment for me, to be honest. Uh, I really had to be truly self-conscious and make a huge effort to make myself step back and be like, I'm not that firefighter anymore. They want to get in there and get the shit. So let them get it. Let them get in there. You know, um, Chief Davis talks about 
hell, having his firefighters on a leash because they're a bunch of just gnarly pit bulls to give them enough leash to to do their job and and give them enough chain and let and know when the right time is to let them off that chain to just go eat. And so that was something that was a, a huge adjustment for me moving into that officer role was stepping back, not being the guy that has to do all the work and get in there and just get it, but step back and be able to watch and observe and make sure that the that the scene was secure and that it was you know safe for those those individuals to be operating in that area. And that's something that I learned from from Major Dick Winters was as he moved up, that was a huge adjustment for him. So. Little things like that, you know, a lot of leadership principles that we use in our society come from the military, bottom line. Um, you have badass people like like Jocko Willen Leif Babin that, that wrote the book Extreme Ownership. I know countless of y'all have probably read that. You know, they take a lot of their lessons that they learned from um, leading SEALs in Ramadi and Fallujah uh, during the Iraq War and everything. And... All of those principles, we're able to to correlate and use them. You know, maybe not actually shooting at people and getting shot at. It's it's not necessarily that, but you can incorporate a lot of those leadership lessons into your day to day life. Well, something that I heard today on the Sean Ryan show when I was getting caught up on, on the episodes there, one of the things that that a recent guest that he had that's a former Marsoc. Uh, Marine, which is uh, Marine Corps Special Forces, basically, you know, they're the SEAL teams of the Marine Corps. Uh, from from what knowledge that I have of it, I don't know all the specific details because I don't think anybody knows all the specific details unless you served in that capacity in in the United States Marine Corps. But one thing that he was talking about that they do during selection for MARSOC and moving into those special operations, and I know when it comes to um the army and delta and all those just super top tier when you think of you know the most badass uh different units within the military that's who i'm i'm specifically talking to and one of the deals he talks about is when you're going through selection to be able to become part of those units is they remove all rank when you're going through it you you don't have any rank so there may be officers that are going through that. There may be just enlisted guys going through that and everything, and they're all trying to qualify for a spot to be on one of those teams. But they have no rank. I think he said for MARSOC they go like the first 11 months of qualifications and training, and they don't hold any rank. They're just there. So they have to earn the respect of who they are, and they have to earn their spot there on the work that they put in, the effort that they put in, and has nothing to fucking do with rank, which is phenomenal. I think that that is a very, very good idea, especially when it comes to those type of, of positions because we don't want any people that's going over there doing the work for the country that, that fake it till they make it because just because they're an officer. Something that we have a mass problem with in the fire service is a lot of officers that have faked it till they made it. They have promoted through either certifications or degrees that they can, you know, memorize a book and be able to go take their civil service exam and they can make a hundred because they have a, a photographic memory and they're able to memorize that shit and move into an officer role where they're now in charge of lives, but they are not proficient operational wise they can't they're not a master of their position they can't tell you how to do the day-to-day -day. they can't put the work in they can't handle the certain situations that dictate when you're on a fire apparatus 
But because they were able to promote and move up in throughout other means, I think that that is something as a fire service that we have a, a major deficiency with. Promotions that are not earned have caused a lot of the reasons of, of the things that I talk about on this show, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the experiences that I've been through in my career and people around me have been through in their careers that I talk about on this show, the bad experiences come from officers that they didn't earn their position. And I see that as a problem. I genuinely do. Because as I've said a million times, when you get in an officer role, it puts you in a position to either be a difference maker or a decision maker. And either one of those, that puts you over other people's lives. And that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It's an unacceptable culture that we have promoted within the fire service through this insane I mean I'm go, I'm going to call it this. We have gotten an insane attachment to certifications and classes in order to promote ourselves rather than actual hard work. Um, I absolutely love that Yes, there's certification classes, but I love the amount of conferences and hands-on training that are starting to develop nationwide. We have a ton. Uh, Ten years ago, it wasn't the case. Ten years ago, you had to really you had to wait it out, and you might have one or two places you could go to uh, close to me in proximity of me for me to be able to travel to to go get some badass hands-on training. Whether it was advanced extrication, advanced rescue command type classes, any any of those actual tactical operational classes, they were few and far between. Now we have people of multiple different variations all you know wanting to get out there and share their experience and, and put the hands-on classes out. And I think that that is what she, we should be doing in order to promote people. I think if you're getting out there and getting some hands-on shit and you're coming back and bringing those hands-on tools and operations and skills, bringing that back to your crew and sharing that with your crew and you all are becoming masters of that, that is the kind of criteria that we should have as far as our training and our advancement. Not being able to just memorize a book and, and then promote with it. I just don't think that that's an acceptable means when we have the gap, the generational gap that we are currently experiencing, and gonna it's going to get worse. The, the more that the 20 to 25-year guys start moving into retirement, the bigger the gap is going to be. And now you're going to have three to five-year people saying, well, I have my driver operator and my instructor and my fire officer one and my fire officer two, so I deserve a captain's position. That's what we're having right now. And no, you don't deserve it. No, because those positions encompass so much more than what even you can cover in those books. Those books are a baseline. Those the driver operator book, I'm I'm gonna give y'all give y'all a little truthfulness. I was an EO for two years. Uh, I promoted after two years. I moved into an officer role, but I was a driver for two years. During that time period, I trained countless other people uh, due to the the restructure that was going on in my department. I actually, to be perfectly 
perfectly honest, I came to that department with a lot of driver experience, a lot of training behind me because I had been, been duty, crew, duty crew at a department in which there wasn't true hard set position so like you may show up today and be a firefighter tomorrow you got to drive the next day you may be riding the officer seat you know typical duty crew type um scheduling and, and positioning so i learned a baseline of being able to do all that by working there and then through my, the, my time as a volunteer i had learned how to drive so when i went into this apartment basically i came in and was a leg up on everybody else because most of the firefighters there had never driven so when it came time for people to start promoting and moving into driver positions, eo positions they didn't know and they didn't have anybody to teach them. So even though that was not actually, you know, exactly my role, um, I got assigned a lot to teach people how to do pump ops and how to drive. I was also, you know, something about me growing up. I grew up driving eighteen wheelers and hauling trailers and doing uh, things that most most guys and girls from the country grew up doing. We experience. A lot different way of life than most people do. You grow up and you're driving tractors and trucks and hauling cow uh, cow trailers and hay trailers and all that stuff. You start driving six, seven years old. As soon as you're able to, to reach the pedals and see over the steering wheel, you're driving. And that's just a fact of life. So... For me, having that experience of driving trailers and 18-wheelers and, you know, all these kind of things and then moving into the fire service, it's no different driving a fire truck, except for most fire trucks have an automatic transmission, and I was used to, to driving a manual transmission, you know, clutch and changing gears. So fire truck was a hell of a lot easier for me. So going into that role, I'm teaching people how to drive these large apparatus, teaching people how to pump and all this stuff. Well, I promote, I go into an EO position, well, I was pretty proficient at it, being honest. I was pretty proficient at it from the get-go. Then I spent my time doing my training, driving, getting a lot of runs under my belt, getting the experience, pumping fires, um, going and doing water shuttles with tankers and just all that, all those different kinds of things. It's something that I, I gained the experience doing. Well, after that, you know, I promoted to promoted to a captain's role, continued on the train, everything, and, and ended up moving departments. So when I moved departments, one of the criteria for the department that I was at, everyone in the department, according to the policies, had to be a certified driver operator. Well, I had never, I never obtained that certification. My previous department did not require that. They had an in-house training program, and as long as you, you know, cleared everything on your on your task books with that and proved that you were able to do the job, then you could do the job. You didn't have to hold the certification, which I have my own personal opinions on that, but I think that that that's perfectly acceptable. I think if you can prove you can do the job, a certification doesn't change that. So moving into the new department, I went over as a lateral move. I was a captain, took a lateral move. They were doing uh, a swapping from a combination style department going full-time career and i was able to do a lateral move captain to captain and i went over there well like i said one of the policies of the department is everyone had to have the driver operator certification the thing that was frustrating with that is that department also had a policy where you couldn't ride down so you were allowed to ride up one position, meaning as a captain, if there was, and after I met my qualifications to ride up as a battalion chief, I could ride up as a battalion chief uh, for overtime or if somebody called off, you know, one of the chiefs called off and I needed to step up, uh, anything in that capacity, I was able to do it, but I could not ride down as a driver. We were not able to step, no one was able to step down a position. So basically what that meant is I had to go get a certification to check a box for the department's policy for a position 
that per policy I was not allowed to do. Now, I, I went to the chief. I tried to have a con. I'm like, chief, this is truthfully, this is a waste of money. Take take the money that you're going to spend sending me to this class to get this certification and give it to a firefighter. You know, just give it to them because they need to be able to step up and do the position. No, you can't do that. So I end up having to do it. Okay, whatever. Personally, I feel like that was a complete waste of money, but that was department policy, so that's what I had to do. Now, the funny thing about this is whenever the instructor came, we did it. We had an outside instructor come to teach the class to basically, I don't know, there was probably 20 of us that ended up having to take the class of firefighters and everything in between that was trying to get that certification to per department policy. And... The instructor comes up and he's like, "Hey, I know you." I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I used to work out such as." He was like, "Well, aren't you a captain?" I was like, "Yes, sir, I am." He's like, "Well, why do you have to do this?" Said, you know, department policy. Where he's like, "Well, last time I saw you, weren't you an EO?" I'm like, "Yes, sir, I was driving out there." He said, "How long did you drive?" I said, two years." He knew the department I was at, and he was like, "Oh yeah, they yeah they make sure that y'all are very proficient when it comes to your driving, and they're pretty hardcore." So yeah, we're just I'm gonna go ahead and sign you off on everything, and um basically was able to sit for my for my state exam uh now what was even more comical on that is to this day i have never opened that driver operator book i could not tell you all the details that come out of that book as far as all the math equations and all those different things that they insist that you have to learn to be a driver operator to drive a pumper uh, but I can tell you I did make like a 86 on my state exam of never opening the book and that was simply going in there and taking the, the test off of experience and knowledge. So when it came to all the truck information, I was able to you know make the grades on that. And then the test that I actually had ended up being a, I don't know what they call it, like a beta test or something, but it was a trial run that they put out to see what people make and it had a ass load of math questions on it of all your long uh, hose line friction loss questions being quite frank i've told people this for years um i have my ways of doing it and i was taught how to uh do pump operations by some older senior guys before they even started getting ate up with all the math and the coefficients and all the algebra and all the breakdown the true scientific breakdown which that has a place if you need a true understanding if you're one of these individuals that needs a true understanding of where the friction loss comes from and getting it down to the exact decimal points on that friction loss then by all means go get that information but uh when it comes to on on the fire ground and actually being able to hammer it out and and pump exactly what you need to depend on what's on the ground and all that there's shortcuts to that you know you can count you can count couplings that gives you your length of hose just by counting the couplings when you see it uh memorizing your truck knowing exactly when someone pulls that apartment layer that three inch going to that gated y and then they hook in that 150 foot bundle um exactly by looking and seeing what they pull you already know what you need to be pumping at because in addition to knowing how long that hose is and what all they have attached to that hose by knowing your truck, you also know your crew. So if the firefighter on the end of that line is five foot four and weighs 104 pounds, you're not going to pump them at 150 pounds because you're going to beat the shit out of them. You're going to pump them less. Or if it's a big dude like me, 6'2", 285, 290, built like a damn refrigerator, you can pump them more. That's knowing your crew. 
you know, we used to joke all the time about, oh, I don't need to know what pressure to pump yet because I'll just look at you and you either point up or point down on the pressure. You, t- you know, on the radio, you tell them, give me more, give me less, whatever, turn it down. That is kind of how we used to joke about things 10 years ago or more whenever I was a rookie. That's what the old heads used to say. Yeah, I just I'll pump you what you need, what you need as a firefighter because it's what you like. And you get to know what those people like through training. Because you have an officer and an EO that want to try to teach you. They want you to become proficient at your job so that you can learn their job and they can move up. So stop trying to think that everything is cookie cutter. And yes, just because that driver operator book says you pump at 150 for this, blah, 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 whatever. That's just an example. That doesn't mean that that's the the end all be all. And... Sitting there trying to get, I, I I personally know a lot of people that the math of driver operator eats them up. They get so caught up in the absolute minute details of trying to find the exact decimal points that they're missing the big picture of what it's actually trying to tell you. It's trying to give you the scientific answer on what friction loss is, but that's not the end all be all. When you're within five psi of what your firefighter on the nozzle needs, you're solid. That That's the reality. That's the true operational reality. And you can you can try to you know manipulate that and learn it, but the only way that you're going to truly know that is by getting out there and doing it. Getting out there and learning your crew, getting out there and putting some hose on the ground. Um, if it's, you know, you live in a district that has FDCs with, with, mid-rises or high-rises, getting getting to some sort of training facility that has the ability to allow you to pump that or simulate that, put some put some additional hose on the ground or um, you know use your ladder truck to elevate it and learn how to pump through those elevated piping systems where you do have to add pressure to it to get it to go uphill and shit like that. But that's all things that you learn by becoming a master of your position. You need to be able to do that and teach the people under you to do that or it gets lost. That information gets lost. And that's what my fear is. That's what my fear of the lack of my generation of of firefighters, the 10 to 20 year guy. We're few and far between. We're a very small percentage. And the guys before us that taught us so much, they're all retiring or a lot of them have gone on however you want to look at but they're not there so they don't have their ability to pass on the nuggets to the small amount of us that's left so we and I, i include myself in this have to teach every little bitty thing of those hard knock lessons that the guys before us learned just like with the military stuff, you know, th- those guys that fought in World War One and World War Two and Vietnam, Korea, Desert Storm, Iraq, Afghanistan. Hell, we just had Iraq and Afghanistan for 20 years. And I've heard countless audiobooks, podcasts, all this different shit that guys from that 20-year war said that there are countless lessons that the military of all different aspects they had to relearn that was shit that was in books that that leaders and tacticians and everything from world war ii and world war one had already written down and put out there but it was lost in translation from that time period to the iraq afghanistan war i mean you had what 60 75 years gap right there and so you had your military leaders in place that that didn't they either didn't know that information 
or they didn't translate that information to the next generation. And so hard lessons learned had to be relearned. And the military is just like us. The only way that lessons truly get learned is when it costs one of our brothers and sisters their life. That's it. That's when we learn shit. As a fire service, we don't ever change jack shit until somebody gets killed. I mean, how many of y'all have policies in place of shit and you, you know you don't like it, 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 you don't agree with it, you don't think it's right, but your chief ain't ever going to change it because it has never gotten anybody killed. That's just a bottom line of how we learn. So until we get in a mindset where we have to pass on the information to the, to the guy next and after us, we have to pass on that information to the crew members that we currently have right now. Tell them everything. Teach them every little bitty thing that you know so that nothing gets lost. And that's when you're a master of your position and you've earned the right by putting the work in and educating the next generation to move on, to move up. Because that's that's truly the only way that we can keep everybody safe and we can keep the fire service progressing and keep the trust of the community. Because when we start dumbing down and dumbing down and dumbing down to where, you know, only the chiefs know everything, because how many of us have that? I know a lot of places that there's a lot of informative chiefs out there. They want to be the smartest one in the room. I worked for one. That's why he wouldn't allow his firefighters and officers to go seek and get additional certifications besides the ones that he dictated in policy, but to go get advanced training classes was essentially outlawed. Uh, you could go do it on your own PTO if you took vacation and didn't tell him about it and you went and did it, but you ran a risk of when he did find out you were going to get reprimanded. I've been there, done that. Um, I caught a hell of a damn ass chewing when I got back and was told how much the, the class that I went and did was not needed and a waste of time and you're never going to use that information and blah, 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 even though it was I was going to get something that we actually dealt with a lot in my di district which was industrial and hazmat i was an officer so if the if a hazmat spill or an industrial anything commercial anything happened in my district guess what i was the first in officer so i established command over a hazmat scene so i went on my own dime and my own time to get my hazmat incident commander class well i come back he finds out because it updated on my TCFP, my, my uh, certification, and the department held our certifications. He finds that out, and he calls me to his office, and I got a hell of a damn ass chewing because that was a wasted class. I did not need that, blah, 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 blah. And I was sitting there looking, and I was like, Chief, we have a shitload of industrial and hazmat that runs through this area of Houston. How can you say that we don't need that? Well, I say that we don't. Okay. Well... He had his hazmat stuff. The reality was, is he wanted the ability, if a hazmat scene happened, he wanted to come out and be the big cheese. He wanted to come out and run the show. He didn't want any of us officers to have the ability to run it on our own. They call that an informative leader. Someone that has to be the smartest one in the room and know everything and won't let you in on any of the quote-unquote secrets. That's an informative leader, and that's dangerous as shit. Because when they leave, I mean, he's he's at the point he could be gone at any time. Now he has an entire department that for his reign 
of 10 years has been told, don't go get this information. Don't go do it. You don't need that class. You don't need this blah, 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 because he had it all. Well, then he checks out and he goes sailing off in his Hawaiian shirt with his wife and on retirement cruising every other month. And he left an entire department of people uneducated because he held all the information. Do y'all see how dangerous that is? Now you have a huge learning curve because you got battalion chiefs that don't have that information who are supposed to be running shit. You got officers, captains, who don't have that information are supposed to be running shit. And all the way down the line, how are you ever supposed to keep people safe and for perform at 150% when you're operating in that kind of that kind of structure? It's just not it's not proper. It's it's not what we should be doing. So I would consider him, he's, he, he might have amazing balanced books when it comes to his budget meetings with the ESD board, but he sucks at his position. He's not a master of his position because he doesn't teach anybody anything. He doesn't educate anyone down the line on how to be 100% masters of their position, much less his, because he wants to hold on to all that information. How many of you have examples in your career where things are, are similar to that? It can even be simple stuff. It, it can be it can be like I used the example earlier. I used the example earlier on when it comes to pension systems, when it comes to benefits packages and all that stuff. If you're not sitting down with your crew members and explaining to them all the details of their benefits package, whether it's how their insurance works, whether it's how workman's comp works, whether it's how they're able to take FMLA whenever their wife or husband, you know, has an injury or something like that or they need to be off because they're having a baby. Because you don't want them to take off when they're having a baby because you need them there to cover your own ass. That's something that's an issue. But you have to educate people on all that information, especially when it comes time for the money, like the, the pension stuff. And, and I really I want to hit that at home because that's your money. That's your money. And, you know, something that's a story that I can share with y'all as far as that goes uh, I've touched on it before in previous shows, but I know we have a lot of new listeners. So the last department that I was working at was city department. We were in uh, TMRS, which is Texas Municipal Retirement System. Basically, it's Texas City Retirement. Um, I believe almost 900 cities, eight or 900 cities in the state of Texas are within that retirement system. And it's anybody that works in the city pays into that. And then it you know it goes to the pension office of the state, and that's what you retire off of. That's your, your pension. Well... Something that was happening at my department was the city was taking our, our contributions out of our check as they're supposed to, but what they were doing was they weren't sending it to the pension office. They were taking that money out and then sitting on it. Um, I have my own theories on what they were doing, just now now being away from that department for a couple of years and and knowing a lot of the scheming and things that are going on. I mean, you could, you could go Google uh, about it, um, but... One thing that that I, I genuinely feel like they were doing was they were taking the money out and they were putting it in an account. I, I like I said, I'll never be able to prove this, but this is just a theory, um, and I, I want to go full circle with it. But I think they were putting the the money in an account, letting it sit there because you're talking about all of the city, 
And it wasn't until TMRS, the actual pension system, would call them on them and threaten them with some sort of legal action for not making their contributions before they would finally get it caught up. Now, they did this during the time period that I worked there. I worked there about three years. During the time period that I did there, I worked there, they did that three times. Uh, one time was just for three or four months. Another time was almost eight months. And then the last year I was there, it was between 10 and 11 months before they finally got my pension contributions caught up. So what that means is they would take it out of my check and not send it for almost 10 to 11 months. I had actually left that department and was gone for over six months before my pension account actually reflected my contributions. Now, I actually reached out and talked directly to the pension system and got in touch with the directors and all that kind of stuff and talked to them, showed them, sent them copies of my check stubs and everything. Well, they did all the research, got their lawyers involved and all that all that kind of stuff in order to finally basically got to the point where they were about to kick that city out of the pension system for being so delinquent before they finally got everybody caught up. Now, where I go with that is because it was entirely frustrating to me because my money matters to me. It's coming out of my check as it should matter to every single one of you. You should care about your retirement. You know, most of us get into the fire service for multiple things, but one of the reasons is because most fire departments have a pension system and pension systems are a pretty reliable and pretty decent retirement. So that's one thing that we look into. Well, if you're not if you don't have the knowledge on how that shit works as a rookie, then you're not able to watch it all the way throughout your career and your city could be doing anything with it. I just saw a few months ago I touched on the show around the Dallas Fort Worth, Texas area, there was a fire chief stole 4 million dollars from his firefighter's pension. 4 million fucking dollars. Of course, he got arrested. He got popped coming uh, from a damn um, uh, at the airport, either coming to or going or coming from or going to Las Vegas. But he stole four million dollars from his guys, and that's bullshit. And I'm sure it was someone within the department that finally caught caught wind of it, figured out what's going on, was able to crunch numbers and figure out what the hell. I haven't actually heard anything else come out about that, so I can't give y'all an update like I would like to. Um, but bottom line is that. You have to be educated and know where your money's going because it's your money. It's not the fire chief's money. It's not the mayor's money. It's your money. That shit's coming out of your check, and you need to know where it goes. Well, if we don't sit down as officers and educate our crews on this when they come in, then... Most of them don't even know how to set up an account to go and be able to look at that. And that's a true story. And that's why I bring that up because even guys that have been at that department in which the, the city was not paying our pension and handling our pension the way it was supposed to have been done, there was guys that had been there three or four years before me and they didn't even have an account set up. No one had ever told them. So when I start pitching a fit because I'm looking at the numbers and looking at my check stub saying, yo, what the fuck? And I'm asking them, they're like, I don't know, man. I've never even set up an account. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, how can you not know? You've been at this department five, six years, and you don't even have a login account to know how much money you have in that account. That's a failure. That's a failure on everyone that was there prior to me on educating these firefighters. That's just a small example, but that's something that I think truly should hit home with everybody because that's your retirement. So, 
Stop getting wrapped up in this mindset of having to be the smartest one in the room. Stop getting wrapped up in this mindset of thinking that you are deserving and you need to move into the next role because you've got these certifications, you've got this amount of years in, blah, 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 blah. Unless your crew can perform your job better than you, you're not ready to move up. That's just the bottom line. You have not earned that next step because you have not done your job of teaching your crew. Bottom line. So, guys, uh, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Go to thirdalarmcowboys.com. Still have some T-shirts. I would you know, really appreciate all, all of you that have ordered. For those of you that are new listeners, go on there, check them out. The uh, Third Alarm Cowboys podcast launch shirt. It, it's pretty cool. It's got our logo on the front. On the back, it has a... Um, uh, American flag type design on the back. We also have the RJ Nep Condemned Saint uh, Third Alarm Fighter shirt. And what the deal is with that, for those of you that don't know, um, the proceeds from that, I kick back to him to help him pay for his training and his nutrition and all, all the different aspects when it comes to his pro boxing career. That's something that, that we're really trying to help him out with, and, and I'm able to do that through the shirt sales uh, from all of you. So if that's something that you want to do to be able to support us and support him and him chasing his dreams, it'd be greatly appreciated. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all in the next one. Put you right back in your place Just like a whaler said